So um, we've, been, we've been talking about this idea of the dealings of God, right? The workings of God. How does God work in our lives? What's this method that he uses? And uh, we, we, we quoted that scripture from uh, Psalm uh, 103 where he says, He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the sons of Israel. And uh, as we said last time, many people know about the ways, uh, or excuse me, the, a- the acts or the deeds of God. They know about what God does, but they don't know about the ways of God. Why is he doing what he's doing? What's, what's happening? And if you don't understand that, it can be very easy to misunderstand what's happening in your life and why God, uh, you may not even realize that God uses certain tools. A lot of times we think that the tools God, that basically if we're, if we're blessed, if we're doing the things that God wants us to do, then we're going to experience positive experiences. But sometimes God uses that wind that we were uh, exhorted to turn our face in, into. He uses that wind to do something inside of us that we would never choose, we would never look for, we would never say it was something we wanted, but, it, but we want God, we want the results of it. We want what God has to do inside of us. So as I've studied the Bible, I've identified, remember we talked about the crucible and the threshing floor, but I've identified actually five different tests, five different refining processes that God uses to change us and to move inside of our lives and to work inside of us. And uh, they're, they're, they're easy not to recognize, easy not to see, but we're going we're gonna to look at them together. I want you to be able to recognize them so when God is dealing with you, you realize it's not that you've done something wrong, it's not that something bad is happening, but God actually is working inside your life to change you and to make you the person that he wants you to be. So let's look at the first one in your notes. Uh, number one is the wilderness test. Number one, the wilderness test. This is one of God's processes, one of his ways, right? Some people know his acts, but we're talking about one of his ways, the wilderness test. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 8. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, one little secret that I, that I did not understand was that there are two different wilderness experiences. There's a wilderness of obedience and there's a wilderness of disobedience. This is, most of us are familiar with the idea of the wilderness of disobedience. That is, the children of Israel, they come up to the promised land, they refuse to go in and take the land and, uh, uh, for themselves, and they, they, uh, as a result of that, the Lord says, okay, you, you're not going in, we're sending you into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they wander around until that whole generation dies. Everybody know what I'm talking about, that story? You will before the semester's out, I promise you. 
Okay, so there's that, so the, so the, there's that story. That was the wilderness of disobedience, right? That came, so they went through a wilderness that came to them as a result of disobedience. They, did the, they, they wouldn't enter in by faith, and they experienced this wilderness of disobedience. But they also experienced a wilderness of obedience. You remember when the children of Israel came through the Red Sea, right? The parting of the Red Sea. Moses raises his staff. They go through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army gets wiped out. When they go through the Red Sea, they're following a cloud. They're following, they're doing exactly what God is telling them to do, going exactly where he is telling them to go. They're following the cloud, but as they follow the cloud, the cloud leads them into the wilderness, leads them into a place where there's There is no food. It leads them into a place where there's no water. He leads them into a desolate place, even though they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Isn't that interesting? That's the wilderness of obedience. And what's that wilderness of obedience about? Let's look at the the passage and see if we get some insight. He says, therefore you shall keep the commandments, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. He says, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. This is a promise for you right now. Take this now. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So he's telling you, this is, this is what God's ultimate intention is for you. Every person in this room, God, we, we know the scripture has been very clear with us that his plans are for good for you. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, there's a good land that's ahead of you. But, verse 11, look now. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of a rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, listen to what he says. This is the problem. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. So God leads us. We're following. So we're saying, Lord, okay, what do you want us to do? He says, follow the cloud. We say, okay, Lord, we're going to follow the cloud. We follow the cloud, and instead of leading us to a land that's filled with water and prosperity and blessing and all this kind of stuff, we follow the cloud, and he leads us to this desolate place where there is no water, where there's no food, where everything seems to be wrong and bad and not right and not going good. 
and, and we're doing exactly what he wants us to do. Why does he do that for us? Why does he lead us in that way? Because when we get into that position, we come to the end of ourselves. And he says, I'm wanting to teach you a principle. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by what this world has to offer, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's trying to bring us to the end of ourselves. You know, because when they go into that wilderness, man, they start complaining, they start grumbling. It would be better for us to be back in Egypt. Why did God bring me to Elam? No, no, I mean, why did God bring me to this wilderness? Right? They start complaining, going through all this kind of stuff. Why? Because God is trying to bring them to the end of themselves. Why? The end of, so that they realize that they are not the source and that they're dependent on God. You know what? None of this is going to work unless God is with us. We've got no food. We've got no water. We've got nothing. And all at once God says, says, you have a water problem? Here we go. And bam, the rock is struck and water flows out of the rock. And we go, whoa, who would have ever thought water coming out of a rock? That's unbelievable. How did that happen? And we, what are we learning? We're learning it's not us that does it. It's God that does it. And he says, if you don't learn this lesson in the wilderness of obedience, if you don't learn how to stop relying on yourself and trusting in your ability and trusting in your resources and checking your bank account, and he says, if you don't learn that lesson there, he said, when the blessing comes that I have planned for you, because my plan is to pour tremendous blessing upon your lives. I'm talking a land of brooks and honey. I'm talking just powerful, wonderful things. I want to pour tremendous blessing on your life. But if you do not learn the lesson of the wilderness, when that blessing comes, this is the temptation you'll have. He, he said, you'll go, you'll look at that blessing and you'll say, well, my power. I guess I was just a little more dedicated than some of those other people were. That's why I got the blessing. I guess I was a little bit more determined than those other people were. That's why the Lord is strengthening me. He says, you'll be tempted to go, my power and the strength of my hand has gotten me this wealth. See, unless you learn the lesson of the wilderness. So, you know, you're going to go through, you know, here you are, you're going to go through uh, the, 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 the wilderness experience. Why? Because God is trying to teach you not to depend on yourself, but to trust in him completely. Okay, let's look at another test that we see that God has. Uh, number two in your notes, it's called the old enemy test. The old enemy test. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formally. The fight to overcome sin in our lives teaches us how to be spiritual warriors. Maybe, you've, maybe you have wondered about this question. You know, I, I, I've wondered about it. I have certain sins in my life that I think to myself, God, you are so powerful. You could deliver me from this temptation in a moment. I mean, I've seen people who were, who were drug addicts get delivered from drug addiction. 
I've seen people who were addicted to cigarettes get delivered from cigarettes. I've seen people whose lives were dominated by alcohol get delivered from alcohol. And then I think to myself, if you can deliver people from those kinds of things, why am I still struggling with the things that I'm struggling with? Have you ever thought that question? If God is so powerful, why am I still struggling with pornography? Why am I still wrestling with gossip? Why am I still struggling with these with outbursts of anger? Why am I still struggling with these things? And this is, what, this, is the, 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 this is the image that he gives us here. Remember, the children of Israel, under Joshua, they go into the promised land, and God says this. They go in, they conquer, they defeat, and then God says, I'm going to leave some enemies in the land. Now, God could, he, I mean, he, they defeated, you know, remember Jericho, whatever. I mean, they defeated army after army after, they had no problem wiping out armies left and right. No problem taking care of this, take care of that. They just went in. But some enemies, the Lord said, I'm going to leave this enemy in the land so that you can learn war. All who had not experienced it formally. You see, there are some things in life you cannot learn unless you are in the battle. Unless it's a warfare that goes on. You know, you're not going to learn about accountability unless you're in a situation where you have to, you have to go, I need, accountable, I need accountable relationships in my life to help hold me accountable. You're not going to learn how to fight that fight. You're not going to learn how to resist the devil. You're not going to learn how to resist the devil unless the devil is trying to get you. Right? And so he, he leaves some old enemies in our lives. You know, some of the very things that you've been praying for God to deliver you from, he has left in your life, and he's saying, I'm not delivering you from this one. I want to see if you can put to work faith and put to work the principles that, I've, that I'm teaching you so that you can experience a deliverance in this situation. I remember reading uh, once many years ago about the way they used to bring uh, in stallions, wild horses. And uh, what they would do is they, 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 once they caught the wild horse, they, they didn't have the time to bring that horse into the, back to the ranch and into the corral. So what they would do is they would, they would throw a lasso around the neck of the wild horse, and then they would take the other end of the rope, and they would tie it around a, uh, this little old donkey that lived in the ranch. And the little old donkey had one little thought in his mind, and the one little thought was, I want to go home. I just want to get something to eat. I just want to go home. That's all I want. The raging stallion on the other end of the rope, he is wanting to break loose, you know? So the little donkey gets up, and he starts, he starts walking toward home, walking toward home, and the stallion goes berserk and starts, you know, reeling up and pulling the donkey and dragging it on the ground, you know. And finally, the stallion tires out from the, from the fight, and he, he, he stops. And then the, 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 the little donkey just gets back up again. I just want to go home. I just, I just want, I want to go home. And then the stallion would go berserk again and, and you know, just everything. And then he would tire out, and the little donkey would get back up. I just want to go home. Why are they leaving me out here like this? I want to go home. And little by little, that little donkey would lead the raging stallion into the corral. 
Listen to me right now. Some of you have some issues in your life that you look at that you think to yourself, this is a raging stallion. I have no power over this thing. I'll never be able to bring it back home. I'll never be able to get it into the ranch. This thing will never get corralled. It will always dominate my life. But I want to tell you, by the grace of God, you can fight. And, you know, what does it mean? It means you get knocked down and you, you get back up again. You know, the greatest devastation, we think the most terrible thing is, you know, I sinned. And, oh, now I'm filled with guilt and everything else and all, you know, knocked down. And we don't realize that the devastating thing is not the fact that a person sins. How many of you know God is not surprised when a human being sins? He was like, oh, I never thought he would do that. All the things I've done for him, I just thought he would just, you know. He has been around human beings for a long time. And you're, the purposes of God will never be stopped in your life because you fail. Because you sin, because you fall in some way. I'll tell you, the only thing that can stop the purposes of God is if you don't get back up again. That's what will, that's what will take you out. The discouragement that keeps you down, that, that causes you to lay there and just say, I cannot defeat this thing. It's just too big. It's just too strong. It's just too powerful. The discouragement that just causes you to lay down, that is the devastating thing, that even the blood of Christ cannot undo. If you turn to the Lord in your failure, and you call upon the name of the Lord, he says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you don't call, if you give up, if you stop fighting, if you stop resisting, if you say, oh, I guess these old enemies, they're going to win this one. You know, that's the one. What can even God, even God can't undo that. You're going to mess up. While you're here at Elam, you're going to mess up. We count on it. We absolutely expect it. The issue will not be how you've messed up. The issue will be how you're going to respond after the mess up. Do you repent? Do you turn to God? Do you turn your back on the thing? Do you reach out and try to get a hold of the Lord in the midst of the situation? See, that's the, that's the issue, not the fact that failure touches your life in some way. That just happens. Okay. Third, third test. Third test we call the total commitment test. The total commitment test. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. God comes to Abraham at the place of dividedness or the place of idolatry in Abraham's heart. God will always do this. He comes to us 
at the place where our heart is being pulled in two directions, right? One part of it is to honor God and see him first and seek him first. And, and, and the other part, in Abraham's case, is this love for his son and seeing his son as the answer. And, the, and he's got this dividedness inside of himself. God will always come to you. Here at Elam, let me tell you right now, he will come to you at the place of dividedness in your heart. Every one of us. It's unique for every one of us. We all have our, our issues, you know, some of us, it's men's applause, you know. Uh, it's, it, it can be many different things. Some of us, it's maybe a, a romantic relationship. That becomes, that's like the most important thing for us, you know. Look at the rich young ruler in your notes. This is Matthew 9, 16. Someone came to him, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Jesus says to him, Keep the commandments. And the young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Now Jesus, he zeroes in on the place of dividedness in the man's heart. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. See, Jesus zeroes in. He's able to see spiritually, and he zeroes in on the place of dividedness in this guy's heart. The guy has a love for possessions. He has a love for things. And he zeroes in on that, and he says, will you lay down these things? This is, this is, the thing about this is it's absolutely unique for every person in this room. What is the place of dividedness in your heart? Where, what is it that you have that, yes, Lord, but yes, also to this. It's like you're, being, you're pulled in two directions. That place of dividedness in your heart, it's absolutely critical. The Lord will come to you there, and he'll put his finger down on that place of dividedness in your heart. He uses many different things. I, I remember my son Todd. Uh, you know, he had gone here to Elam for a year, and then he went to uh, Brockport. And he met this very nice girl at Brockport, and uh, it looked like, uh, was it like his senior year? It looked like their relationship was really moving along and, and uh, felt very positive about the relationship. And, uh, and then he brought her to connect with his brothers and sisters and with his family and stuff like that. And basically, all of his family said to him, we don't have a peace about this relationship. She's a nice girl, but we, we, don't, feel, we don't feel good about this. And all at once, Todd was put in this position. Was he going to let his wants and desires in that moment, because he really liked the girl, was he going to let his wants and desires win out in the situation, or would he be willing to lay down the relationship, trusting that God was using his family, using these people who loved him and cared about him and that were spiritual people, 
that, 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 to, to lay that relationship down. And uh, so finally he, he, says, uh, he says, you know, he says, I, I really think this girl is special. He said, but, but I, uh, you know, I really believe if you guys all have a strong check about this, I need to lay the thing down. And so he comes to, the, comes to that place where, and it, was a, it wasn't like an easy thing. It was like a, turb, a battle for him. He comes to that place where he lays it down. He lays down the relationship. And uh, it was like, whoa. And the next, the next year, he's going on with life. He becomes the director of basic college ministries and, and is kind of bringing that thing into the 20th century. And he's, he, he's, he's, uh, he's involved in ministry and doing all this kind of stuff. And, the, and there's nobody. Nobody, no relationship comes up. No connection comes up. No... You know, he's just serving God. It was over a year serving God, and you know, uh, and it doesn't appear like anything is happening. Anything is going to come together. Just trusting the Lord. You know, what is your place of dividedness? What is it you would be unwilling to lay down, unwilling to give up? The Lord is coming to that spot. And he's putting his finger down, and he's saying, will you trust me? Can you give up control? Can you give up being in charge? Why don't we just bow our heads right now, just before the Lord? Jesus. The wilderness test. And now I'm talking to you about the total commitment test. Is there some place of dividedness in your heart? Something that you know, some, for some of us, it could be a possession. Uh, for some of us, it's the desire for the approval of people. For some of us, it might be uh, certain kinds of security, things that we've identified as things that make us secure. Some of you, you wouldn't consider the mission field, because you, you look at it and you say, oh, if I went on the mission field, forget that. If I did that, I'd never get married. Right? I'd go off to some foreign country or something like this. Who knows what would happen? And, and so you can't be open to the will of God because you've got a certain agenda in your mind. And one of God's tests is the total commitment test. Take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and offer him to me. What do you need to offer to the Lord today? What is the place of dividedness inside of you?
I just want to encourage you to give it to God right now. If he's putting his finger on something, the Holy Spirit is highlighting something in your heart right now that you just, you just make your decision. You know, it's interesting when we put the Lord first. When Abraham went up on that mountain ready to kill his son, and God provided another sacrifice. Mm-hmm. God provided another sacrifice. When Todd made that decision he made, and then after a couple years, him leading that college ministry, one day he, he goes off to a campus, and he, and he meets this college leader on the campus. He had never met her before. And all at once it was like, whoa. The one that everybody confirmed and affirmed and knew, yes, this is destiny. This is the right thing. It all came together. But it did not come together until there was a passing through this test of laying something down. Let's just listen to some of this song right now again as we're just ending this time and then we'll, we'll, we'll go to our lunch. And the Lord whom you seek whom you love with all your heart in his love for you he's coming with his fire He will purify his own and refine them all as gold till he alone is his beloved's one desire. And as the potter shapes the clay, shape my trembling heart today. Lord, the fire of my love is growing cold. A bruised reed he will not break, but he knows the way I take. And when he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So turn your face to the wind, let it blow. Turn your face to the wind, let it blow. It will purify your heart and your soul. Turn your face to the wind, let it blow. One of the things I like about that song is it it underlines a decision that you need to make. God does his refining process, but there's got to be something inside of you that turns your face to the wind. That says, okay, this I'm going, I'm going this way. I'm entering in to that.